0: Shoes, what's
1: the matter, Morty? The thing. My the thing. Great
0: gowns. Oral. Beautiful gowns.
1: Fashion has changed.
0: No, oh, it hasn't. Hi, I'm Lauren Garoni.
1: And I'm Chelsea Fairless.
0: And this might be the last Every Outfit Podcast episode, because I might infect Chelsea with my illness. <laughs>
1: Okay, I came over and Lauren is like violently ill and trying to hide it from me. I'm like, bitch, come on. We could have done this over Zoom.
0: And by violently ill, it's my voice is a little nasally and I coughed
1: once. I sneezed once as well. Okay, well, we'll see how this shakes out. (laughs) I love you. I'm willing to take the risk, especially for our beloved listeners. Although I think I might have brought some bad energy into the space myself because I am like so fucking sick of these cyclists on Mulholland. It should be illegal. It really should. No, Lauren, this man no helmet, AirPods in, and driving over the line so no one could overtake him. We're going to sound like assholes, but for those
0: that don't live in Los Angeles, it is not a friendly city for cyclists. And also, I have never seen worse behaved bicyclists because they don't share the road. And also, here's the thing, they want to be treated like cars, right? They want to... They want to ride in the middle of the lane just like they're a car.
1: But then they will blow through a fucking stoplight as if it's not pertinent to them. Exactly. And it's like, okay, I get it. If you're wearing AirPods on Mulholland, like... You have a death wish and that's fine, but like, don't bring me into it. Don't put me in some like 21 gram situation here.
0: Well, I was gonna start the podcast with a pretty major celebrity sighting or supermodel sighting that Ooh. I had at the, the drugstore the other day. Who did you see? So I was getting my flu and COVID shot. Great time to have gotten that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, clearly it worked. <laughs> And I'm going to the register to pay for a couple of things that I've gotten and I'm coming down an aisle and I meet at the same time this woman who's waiting in the line and I get there first I look to my left and it's supermodel Amber Valletta.
1: Ooh, with
0: her reynolds wrap and i'm like i guess i kind of cut her off i'm like you know what you go ahead of me and she just turns to me and she goes there really should be self-checkout and i'm like yes amber Valletta, there should be
1: self-checkout okay so are we now just buying reynolds wrap from now on full brand loyalty i'm influenced <laughs> absolutely i've been influenced by amber Valletta.
0: no i more was just like what are you doing in the valley, Amber Valletta? So
1: chic. I love her. She really is so chic. I was
0: like, do I say I love
1: her work? Is that vapid? Yes. No, it's not vapid. Come on. She's one of the greats. I didn't. I I fumbled the bag. Maybe I'll see her again. We need a second part to the Apple TV Supermodels docuseries that's just like all of the girls that are the tier below them.
0: Yeah, and it's just like the subheader is supermodels never die. I'd watch.
1: So shall we start the show with a bit of and just like that news? Christmas come early and just like that isn't coming back till 2025. I'm excited for it to come back, but I do think a little bit of a break would be good. Good because they put out the first two seasons so fast. And by the time the show actually comes back, maybe Wyatt will have gone to college so Aiden and Carrie can just like resume their romance.
0: Yeah, we didn't talk about this, but a few weeks ago I, I sent you that all of the writers had met at the Cara Hotel, I noticed in, in Los Feliz, for a Writer's Room 3 dinner, and it's all the same writers.
1: So we can't really expect a severe vibe shift for season three.
0: No, but we can count on Samantha Irby probably writing the best episodes of the season. On that we can rely. Let her deal with the Aiden stuff. If he's coming back, Is it going to jump five years? I guess what I could say is I'm genuinely curious how they're going to handle the story.
1: Yeah, I feel like they'll make her get in a good relationship with someone else, and then Aiden will come back. Well, my line was, just make it John Hamm, but I see that he is Jennifer Aniston's
0: boyfriend on the morning show. Oh, really? You can't be both boyfriends. Yeah,
1: I want to get back into the morning show, and people keep DMing us, imploring us to get into the morning show, but I just can't do that COVID season. If there's a way to transition from season one to season three without watching season two, I would. There is.
0: It's called just jumping to
1: season three and watching the season two recap that I'm sure they have before (laughs) episode one. Okay, you're right. I'm stupid. In other news, Cynthia Nixon was on The View this week, promoting the new season of The Gilded Age. Okay,
0: before we jump into this interview, I've never watched an episode of The Gilded Age, and the only time I've seen anything about it is the trailers, and this one clip that they played before she came on. It seems like a very odd show. But everyone loves it. We should be watching it. And by
1: everyone, you mean the tens of people watching the show. Lots of people watch The Gilded Age. We just don't watch it.
0: Who are these people? I want their names. I
1: don't know. Just people. People from different places. <laughs>
0: different places. <laughs> she was also promoting a play that she was in. I was very intrigued by the tension filled conversation, not about the topic you would think it would be, but about live versus fake trees, which I felt like mirrored our own tension filled conversations of like live and fake trees.
1: Right. Because Cynthia was very pro real tree and Sunny was like very, very pro fake. Tree Like, to a weird degree.
0: And I am a fake tree person. Chelsea is a live tree person. But I would never go the depths that Sunny went into about, like, just get the real tree spray. And I think it was Whoopi that was like, was was Whoopi or Joy. I think it was Joy, which was like weird for her to have a stake in this. Was like, then it all gets in your lungs. <laughs> it's
1: like, Joy, did you have someone who got cancer from spraying real tree smell on their fake tree? Cynthia also revealed that she completed four days of her five-day hunger strike because I guess she had to work on one of the days. And I'm like, what? Did you have to eat some like pheasant on the Gilded Age or something? Crafty was just too tempting. <laughs> Of course, she talked about wanting a ceasefire and Joy, like if there was a button that Joy could press to eject this woman out of her seat and off of the show, she would have done it.
0: I'm surprised that in 25 years of The View, they haven't added that as a feature onto the show. Could you imagine if that existed during the Elizabeth Hasselbeck, Rosie O'Donnell days?
1: Oh, it would have been incredible. Yeah, I feel like Sunny was vibing with Cynthia a bit because her whole struggle on The View lately is that like no one lets her finish a sentence but watching this just reminded me that I really just want someone on that show who has a different perspective than the rest of them
0: And you don't mean Democrat-Republican. You're talking about like a Marianne Williamson energy.
1: Either get someone that's like Marjorie Taylor Greene or Marianne Williamson. But we need someone with a different viewpoint in the mix because it's not really that fun to listen to them talk when they all have the same opinion about like the broader issue, right? Say gun control, reproductive freedom they really just argue about the minor details of everything. And that's becoming tiresome to you. I think what I'm saying is that Cynthia Nixon either needs to permanently join this panel (laughs) or we need to get Rosie O'Donnell back.
0: Or just rotate them out. I mean... It is working for The Daily Show, it seems, like not replacing Trevor Noah and just having a never-ending parade of guest hosts.
1: I'm fine with it. I just think that we need some new perspectives on that show, regardless of what they are or if I agree with them.
0: They should make you the producer. What was his name? He's dead now, right? Bill Getty. Bill Getty.
1: May he rest in peace.
0: Do we want to discuss the fact that George Santos is on Cameo and I tried to get us one and I couldn't? Well, how hard did you try? At the beginning of the week, I saw on Twitter, I will never Recall it X that George Santos was on Cameo and they were going for $75 and I was like well clearly that's not real and then the next day I started to see more Cameos and I was like oh it is for real so I went on the website I think it was like Tuesday morning they were selling for $250 and I was like this is a worthwhile business expense it was like 275 slots left I was like you know what let me think about what I want him to say to Chell and I and when I came back in the afternoon they were sold out and they were briefly available this morning but now for $400 and I'm sorry
1: it's just too much for a joke. I agree. I think $250 is my flinch point for a George Santos cameo.
0: But what I also learned is that I've always vowed to you when I got like a fuck you money check that I was going to get you a Caitlyn Jenner cameo because they're $2,000 and I've sadly learned Caitlyn Jenner's no longer on the platform.
1: Yeah, maybe her cameo request slowed down, you know. Can I play you some of the George Santos cameos? Have you seen them? No, I have not favorite T.S. song is definitely going to be Trouble. I knew you were trouble when you walked in. That's me. Bye. Okay, money well spent. I hope that was the $75 tier. <laughs> He's singing for his dinner, you know? So I think that's a great way to transition. Taylor Swift, I saw, was Time's Person of the Year. That was a shock because while she has been inescapable this year, they never give this to entertainers. It's always like world leaders or or whoever happens to be the Pope at that time.
0: Yeah, last year was Vladimir Zelensky. This year, it's Taylor Swift. I mean, the Time Person of the Year is kind of the prominent known person's version of like the Forbes 30 under 30 like this is orchestrated by a publicist
1: i don't know if that's the case because it's usually world leaders and if it's not it's like a group of people like american soldiers or whistleblowers or they did that cover a few years ago that was like the silence breakers when what they really meant was the me too movement But remember that Taylor Swift was on that cover as well? Right. So this is technically the second time that she's been on the cover of this issue.
0: I mean, it feels like this is a punctuation at the end of a really great year because I feel like she hasn't done a ton of interviews this past year as noted by our favorite Taffy and her profile or her non-profile of
1: Taylor Swift. I was just excited to see the shoot because we never see her like with a good hair and makeup and styling team.
0: Oh, that's interesting that you say that. That's how low the bar is, I think, with Taylor Swift, because I thought you were gonna comment on how boring this photo shoot is.
1: It's not supposed to be a Vogue cover. It's the time person of the year. I don't think this is the time to come out in the Gucci gown or the Mugler cat suit.
0: Unsurprisingly, my favorite look was her in the, like the top was a tuxedo and then she was in jeans.
1: Or as someone on Instagram said, Young Tar. (laughs) (laughs) Which is exactly what that looked like. I have noted some things I found interesting about the article,
0: but I want to hear what did you take away from the article?
1: I honestly have no takeaways from the article aside from her admission that her song Mastermind was inspired by Phantom Thread that blew my mind now when i listen to that song i will just imagine daniel day lewis vomiting and shitting my favorite
0: is the person who wrote the article in explaining this is like she tells me that she wrote that song after watching the paul thomas anderson film phantom thread which spoiler culminates in the reveal of a vast layered manipulation it's like that's not a spoiler like what I've seen Phantom Thread. I'm like, what does that even mean? She's poisoning her husband. Spoiler, that's what it is. (laughs) Taylor Swift sat in a theater, or let's be honest, sat in her home theater and watched Daniel Day-Lewis
1: vomit poisonous mushrooms and was like, you know what? I think there's a pop song in this. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just sad that there weren't more poisoning metaphors in the song itself.
0: For the first time in many years, Taylor Swift is talking about the Kim Kardashian, Kanye West leaking of the phone call where Taylor Swift was like, yeah, you can use me and you can say that lyric in Famous, which was... I still think Taylor and me might have sex, but he never said the second line, which is, I made that bitch famous, which clearly Taylor Swift wouldn't have been cool with and been like, no, you don't have my permission.
1: Yeah, I'm not surprised that she brought that up again because it clearly is such a traumatic and central experience for her. But I did find it interesting that she basically said that she had lost her career as a result of that. And then the interviewer was like, girl, what? (laughs) Not to her face, but... Yeah, I was going to
0: bring this up because I think a a barrier to entry I have with Taylor Swift is this self-mythologizing that everyone hates her. And I understand, as the interviewer does, I understand that that's how she feels, but that's not really what happened. Like, no one that was a Taylor Swift fan
1: was moved by that Kim Kardashian video. She has such a large fan base It doesn't matter what she does or if the public at large cares or not.
0: But she's like, but it's not like, oh, this is how I feel. Her literal quote is, make no mistake,
1: my career was taken from me. By who? You didn't get dropped by your label and your management and like what? Your sponsors. Yeah,
0: she's like, I had to go into hiding for a year. It's like, okay, one, you went on a whirlwind European vacation with Tom Hiddleston the summer of 2016, and you released Reputation the next year.
1: Look, don't get me wrong. I feel empathy for anyone who is kind of cyber-bullied in that way on a mass scale, I think that is a lot more traumatic than people want to admit. Oh, God, yeah. Or that that regular people, I suppose, want to admit. So it's like I, I understand that that carries an extreme level of trauma, even for a famous person with all of this privilege.
0: Yes, and then I did appreciate that the journalist, as the article ends, is like, here Swift has told me a story about redemption, about rising and falling, only to rise again, a hero's journey. I do not say to her in our conversation that it did not always look that way from the outside that for example when Reputation's lead single Look What You Made Me Do reached number one on the charts or when the album sold 1.3 million albums in the first week second to only her other album 1989. She's never not had a sold out concert since she began. She's also had pretty much always critical acclaim. Like the most she can muster about reputation is like some people were skeptical. It's like it's still a four star album. Of course. All right. I'm, I'm glad to hear you're on my side of things.
1: No, of course I am. In other news, I love that you put the Madeline Brockway wedding in our shared Google Doc. And you were like, I'm not sure if you've heard of this. Exactly what kind of rock do you think I live <laughs> under? <laughs> I mean, I know that you probably, at the very least, knew about it through Tats, and she and I share a TikTok addiction. Even though I'm not on TikTok all day long, I'm looking at no less than ten TikToks a day, just because people send them to me constantly. Usually, you. So I can't escape any of this shit. <laughs>
0: all right, for for those of you who may live under a rock, the internet has anointed a new it girl, or at least that's what some chick named Malin Brockway would like you to think, with her recent lavish nuptials that went viral on Instagram. Instagram. Maybe you don't know this, Chelsea, but Madeline is a Texas car dealership heiress. I did not know there was such a thing that her parents sold. And based on an article, they sold two dealerships for anywhere between 100 to
1: $700 million. Okay, but that still doesn't seem like a proportionate amount of money to this wedding. This seems like a billionaire's only situation. Oh,
0: absolutely. So Madeline had a multi-day Parisian wedding that saw guests spend the night at Versailles, had a welcome dinner at the Paris Opera House, where guests were serenaded by ball gown wearing violinists and had such an insane amount of flowers it would make Jeff Latham weep and a wedding reception that featured views of the Eiffel Tower and a performance by Maroon 5. Can you imagine how much did she spend on her wedding? When I first saw this wedding on Twitter, someone flippantly posted like, so this is what a $59 million wedding looks like, and that's the number everyone's run with. It was probably tens of millions of dollars, but it wasn't $60 million.
1: Lauren did her due diligence and personally contacted all of the vendors. (laughs)
0: No, 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 there are legit TikTok accounts that are dedicated to figuring out how expensive certain weddings are. And they do do the due diligence that I refuse to do and figure out how much the vendor's costs are. So like two of these accounts said it's probably 20 to $30 million. Because they flew everyone out, put everyone up, rented Versailles for a few days. Also, can we talk
1: about the bachelorette party, which was its own thing?
0: I was looking for wedding planners and was sort of horrified by everything I was seeing. And I came upon a wedding planner who's showed a bachelorette party she had organized. And it was a Marie Antoinette themed bachelorette party at Amengiri. And I pulled Paul and I was like, look at this fucking thing.
1: Guys, it was Madeline Brockway's bachelorette party. It's so funny because that hotel, which is, where is it? Utah. It's like this minimalist luxury hotel in Utah that is thousands a night, three-night minimum, celebrity favorite. Oh, if people are listening to this podcast, they've definitely seen it through Kardashian-Jenner Instagram posts. For sure, but this was interesting because... All of this was very much at odds with the aesthetic of that place, right? Like the amount of flowers and shit that they're bringing in. But the thing I was really struck by is that there were only like no more than 12 table settings at all of these dinners. They had rented out that entire hotel and did all of this shit for no more than a dozen people.
0: It's become clear that Malin Brockway was using her insane wedding to launch a social media career. I think she looked at like a Nicola Peltz or Sophia Ritchie who have careers, I guess, because their weddings were glamorous. Certainly, Sophia Ritchie got on a lot of people's radars because her wedding was just so fabulous, but... It was kind of working. Like, her following was growing. People were writing articles about it. We're talking
1: about it now. It completely worked. Good for her.
0: Yes, but then suddenly last week... She deleted her TikTok account, deleted all of her other social accounts, and no one could figure out why until people started digging into the groom. Turns out her now husband, Jacob Legrand, was indicted in March on three counts of aggravated assault on a public servant for shooting at cops and could face life in prison.
1: Oops. Why was he shooting at the cops? Do we know? Some kind of Domestic disturbance. Or was he just like shooting off guns at his house and like the cops came over or something? Because it seems like that's something that the ultra wealthy do. When I heard about this, I couldn't help but think of the last season of you. Right. Like whatever this is, it's probably a lot like that. Very saltburn coded is exactly. what Saltburn
0: esque. You know what? You can't wait to talk about Saltburn. Do you want to talk about Saltburn? Sure. When we left things last week, you were like, I'm not gonna watch it. And I was like, it's okay, I'll go see it and, and we and I'll tell you about it because I'm intrigued by the internet hatred of this movie. And then I was delighted to find out. You went and saw Saltburn. So, Chell,
1: what did you think? I was thoroughly entertained by Saltburn. I'm not hating on Saltburn at all.
0: I know. When I saw just how many people disliked this film, I was like, fuck, I'm probably gonna be okay with it, which is kind of a bummer because I was quite looking forward to disliking a film along with everyone else. But I don't know what other people thought going into the film. Because for the previous week, I've been seeing people take videos of themselves leaving the film utterly destroyed. It's like, by what, though? Because they're grossed out by it? A fuckhead named Ben Carpenter on our Patreon, I think, put it best, which is, Saltburn is basic straight person shocking, not queer and or generally cultured shocking. And that might be the best description of this film.
1: That's true. When I was watching the movie and the audience was reacting, Tat leaned over to me and was like, these people are a bunch of fucking prudes. <laughs> and that's what it is, right? Like the bathtub scene that everyone is so obsessed with being disgusted by, I'm like, I'm sorry, I would do the exact same thing if I was in that man's position. I'm not letting that perfectly good bath water go to waste. Uh oh, guys, we're about to get into
0: spoiler territory for Saltburn and then May December. If you would like to not be spoiled, just scroll down to our episode description. We will give you the timestamps so you may stay spoiler free. But I can say that the movies are great and you guys should go see them both. When I thought you weren't gonna see the film, my non-spoiler log line, and to answer your question from last week about how hot Jacob Elordi is, he's so hot that you
1: would kill an entire family for him. And you can't even judge him for that. I was
0: not the biggest fan of Promising Young Woman, mostly for the ending. And I do think that there's a little bit of a logic gap with why Barry Keoghan is doing all of this, but like,
1: I don't care. You know that he's going to kill someone. Like it can't be him dying, you know, because that would be too much like promising young woman. So it's kind of evident to me that someone's going down. You just don't really know who. Well,
0: that's my thing about people being shocked from this film, which is like, what did people think this movie was? Because I went in knowing that it was going to be some sort of take on the talented Mr. Ripley set for reasons unknown in 2006. Did you know this was a period piece?
1: Oh God, does that count as a period piece now? That's so depressing. Yeah, baby, 18 years ago. I don't know. I think also the critical response to it, it's like people are acting like they thought it was supposed to be like Citizen Kane or 2001 Space Odyssey or some shit, and it's just like this movie.
0: Yeah, I think that this film is actually campier than May, December, which we'll talk about after this.
1: I don't know if I agree with that, but it definitely was campy for sure I get it I think that sometimes when things are clearly meant to shock you people can be resentful of that and i definitely think that saltburn falls into that category but the thing about it is is that it actually succeeded in shocking people not us no it even shocked me maybe not everything shocked me in the way that it might shock others but the grave scene that shocked me that was like pasolini level of fucked up and i did not see that coming
0: Let's go through what I will deem the three most shocking things in the film. I would say the first one is what I will call the vampire pussy eating scene. (laughs) Okay. It's a period film in two ways, Chelsea. Oh my
1: God. I guess
0: for people who are still listening to this, even though we're getting into spoilers, but aren't sure what the movie is about, Barry Keoghan is going to Oxford. I can't remember any of the characters' names, so I'm just gonna call the actors' names. Barry Keoghan is a poor student who's going to Oxford. He becomes enamored with Jacob Elordi. He gets brought into his social circle, and after his father passes away, Jacob Elordi invites him to stay for the summer at his family's estate, (laughs) Saltburn,
1: <laughs> where hijinks ensue.
0: Yes, where after one dinner he meets Jacob Elordi's sister in the in the garden and eats her out despite her having her period.
1: Sex is disgusting, but that rarely translates to cinema. In movies, sex is very sanitized and stylized in a way that it just isn't in reality. So to show something like this is just unique.
0: Yeah, I mean, as Rosamund Pike says, I was a lesbian for a little bit. It was too wet for me. (laughs) The second most shocking scene that everyone's talking about is the fact that Barry Keoghan's character overhears Jacob Elordi jerking off in a bathtub in their shared bathroom, goes into the bathtub and sucks up the, what you
1: imagine is the cummy (laughs) bathwater. Ew, cummy bathroom. Don't say it like that. Look, you'd have to. You'd have to. And if you wouldn't, then I guess you're not as big of a Jacob Alordy fan as I am. <laughs> when you say you would
0: have to, you're literally like, I would have to, Lauren. There was a great letterbox review that was like, for people who were mad that they didn't eat the peach and call me by your name. Have I got a movie for you? (laughs) I guess my expectation was that he truly, I don't know that we were going to like see ejaculate. I didn't expect it to
1: just truly be, be bathwater, but I guess. Is that so much grosser than just like sucking someone's dick? Like think about it. It's not. Right, I mean, maybe putting your tongue in a drain. Okay, that's true. I would not go as far as to like rim the drain. He was in a dark place, clearly. Jacob Elordi passes away, and maybe
0: the most shocking scene of the film occurs, which is Barry Keoghan is is at his grave. It's raining. He takes his shirt off. He's crying. And where my mind went to was like, oh, he's gonna jerk off on the dirt. Yeah, nope. (laughs) He fucks. The dirt, and I know that it's supposed to be shocking, but
1: my mind just went to American Pie. From the perspective of like the actor, it's like that was played very seriously. Like he's sobbing, like it was not comedic in that sense, but it was comedic. I looked around at the people around me and everyone was just sitting there with like frozen smiles on their face, like not knowing what to do. I mean, that's
0: pretty cool. What I don't see people talking about in regards to this film is what I think is the biggest twist... And its biggest commentary point, which is the biggest sin in modern life isn't being poor, but being middle class. Because that is the twist of the film, is that he isn't poor. Right. The Barry Keoghan character made all of this up because he knows he would be more sympathetic. There's nothing more boring than living a
1: comfortable life. (laughs) It's all about extremes. Although when you look at that level of wealth, it's like, comparatively like he is in poverty compared to the salt burn wealth. But of course, he's not actually. He has every uh, privilege in the world.
0: Yes, and his father's not dead and his mother isn't a crack whore. (laughs) It's not the lie, it's the cover up. And that was the moment I was like, he's going to twist the wheel as Jacob Alordi is driving back because Jacob Alordi is trying to do this great thing and reunite him with his mother who he intercepts a call from on Barry Keoghan's birthday, drives him to his hometown and Jacob Elordi realizes, oh, you're not poor. I fell for this lie. And I was like, oh, okay, this is where like Barry Keoghan on the drive back is going to take the wheel and crash. And he's going to have to lie about how Jacob Elordi passed away. But that's why I say, I think that is the biggest twist of the film because the rest of the film is very Passive. You don't see how Jacob Alorty dies. You don't see how the sister dies. I mean, what happens to Rosamund Pike is very visceral and shocking, but.
1: Yeah, that was actually maybe the most disturbing part of the movie, actually. This is where it's a bit of
0: a logic gap, which I'm willing to go with this film of like, okay, he wants to consume Jacob Alorty so much, he's going to go through the entire family till he is the heir of Saltburn. But the film takes place between 2006 and 2007. It then jumps 20 years because it's 2027 and you get this when he's looking at the newspaper and sees the great Richard E. Grant, who always loved when he's in a movie. He is the father of Jacob Elordi's character. Guys, if you hear airplanes in the background, it's because for for Chelsea's health, we've kept the door open (laughs) (laughs) because I can't actually record this podcast with a mask on. (laughs) So then he seeks out Rosamund Pike's character in a cafe, presumably marries her, only for her to have a terrible accident. This film more resembles a Netflix true crime docu-series than the talented Mr. Ripley.
1: Yeah, and I'm completely willing to look past the aspects of this film that are illogical or cliche, and there are many things that fall into those categories, but at the end of the day, it's like, It entertained me. It was entertaining. That's really all I care about at this point is being entertained. I'd rather watch a mediocre movie that is entertaining than a good movie that I will forget about in two years. Two years? Try two days. Exactly.
0: I guess there is a fourth most shocking thing that a lot of people are talking about, which is at the end of the film... Barry Keoghan strips naked and dances to Murder on the Dance
1: Floor. Great Needle Drop. I've been wondering why I've been hearing that song on the internet so much lately because it never really caught on in the United States. I thought you were going to say Great Flaccid Cock. (laughs) Seemed like pretty decent, but uh, I still hear that song all the time because expats from like Commonwealth countries like always put it on when they get drunk. They live for that shit. So, Aussies. And Canadians and British people. Also, when I saw Carrie Mulligan, it reminded me of like when you go to the theater and someone over the loudspeaker is like, So, for today's performance, the role of Helena Bonham Carter will be played by <laughs> Carrie Mulligan. Yeah. Wow. I didn't even connect that, but yes. Yeah. Anywho. So sea salt burn or don't. I don't really give a shit, but I enjoyed it.
0: And for those that were dying for our opinion, I think you may be disappointed
1: that We liked it. I do think Jacob Elordi was hotter in this than Priscilla. Okay. All right. We got the definitive answer. Like the portrayal of Elvis was like his personality wasn't hot. Like he was a real snore, you know, but also the eyebrow piercing added a lot.
0: And I think someone that big and masculine just being shirtless and wearing angel wings, like always hot. So hot.
1: Moving on, God, we're really packing it in in this app. A film that earlier this year we claimed was going to be our favorite movie ever, May, December. And you know what? It just might be my favorite movie. I have watched it twice.
0: I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. I really enjoyed it. I don't think it's my favorite Todd Haynes film, but it's definitely up there. I think a lot of issues that people are having with this film is, I don't think people understand that this is a melodrama, which is a genre in and of itself and something that Todd Haynes loves. And like, he's a huge fan of Douglas Sirk. So I feel like the dramatic music cue that everyone is reposting, right? Where it's like the, the piano and then Julianne Moore opening up the fridge and going, I don't think we have enough hot dogs. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it was campier than I thought it would be. I did not expect the music to be so extreme. I did not expect the lisp to be so extreme.
0: But I think that you need those kind of musical cues and that kind of acting to make the movie watchable. And what I mean by that is the context and the subtext of that film is so fucking depressing that it's almost too much to bear without those kind of campy elements
1: well that's the amazing thing about this movie because the subject matter is so dark and taboo but there's nothing about the film that feels moralistic at all and somehow it still manages to be funny while still being respectful of the victim in this story which is very impressive to me
0: I was also shocked at how ripped from the headlines this film was to the Mary Kay Letourneau story because I thought it was going to be loosely based and it's like, Oh, at some points, it's just point-for-point point recreations of interviews they've done.
1: Basically, the premise of this film is that Julianne Moore is Mary Kay Letourneau. She is a tabloid figure who rose to prominence because she committed statutory rape. She had a affair with a 15-year-old boy that she later married. And Natalie Portman plays the actress that is playing her in a film that has come to study her. And what surprised me about that is I assumed that the Natalie Portman character would be a slightly higher caliber of actress. Like I thought that Natalie Portman would be like Natalie Portman. But really, Natalie Portman is more like, I don't know, who do you think is on her fame level?
0: From the context clues of people talking about the show that Natalie Portman's character is on, it is... A Katherine Heigl, Ellen Pompeo, an actress that's been stuck on a TV medical procedural for a while,
1: which I think is like a vet show. She's also famous enough, though, to have some sort of Neutrogena campaign. I loved that fake commercial that was in this. that was so good. There were photos of Mary Kay Letourneau that they basically recreated with Julianne Moore. And the part where she was like, who's in charge? Who's the boss? That shit. That was from whatever that really famous interview with Mary Kay Letourneau. The one where Villy is like fully disassociating and it's extremely depressing.
0: Yeah, people have, I've seen, do a comparison. So the in the Todd Haynes film, it's Julianne Moore imploring Charles Melton, who is the runaway breakout performance of this film. I mean, everyone's incredible
1: yeah no i agree it's all about him he's the one that should win the oscar julianne moore and natalie portman already have them and he really added so much depth and humanity to this movie that is otherwise quite campy
0: right she's trying to implore who was in charge as charles melton is like i think we should talk about this like i don't think this was right and it is taken from an interview as you said with mary kay letourneau and uh where A reporter is really turning the screws to her and she just keeps saying to Villy, who was the boss? You were the boss. I wasn't the boss. And she's fucking talking about a 13-year-old when she was 34 or 36.
1: Yeah, she's literally gaslighting him on national television. Another thing that I found to be unexpected about this was I kind of assumed that the Julianne Moore character, because she is so inherently immoral would be the crazier one of the two but i was quite surprised with natalie portman who had what i could only describe as jenny schecter energy yes she's an actress who thinks
0: that this role will be her breakout role out of you know the kind of tv Prison that she's been in the last few years. And so she increasingly becomes not just obsessed with Julianne Moore's character, but like obsessed with being her. Right. But also embodying the lack of morals that Julianne Moore must have had to be able to seduce a 13-year-old, or I think in this film it's 15, not 13. When Natalie Portman's character goes to the high school of the twins, so Julianne Moore and Charles Melton's character uh, have twins who are graduating high school, and so she goes to an acting class, Natalie Portman, and she talks about having sex scenes in front of a group of teenagers, (laughs) which is so wildly inappropriate. I know, it really was. And I would say one of the craziest scenes is when Natalie Portman is reviewing the tapes of the 13-year-old boys or 15-year-old boys who are going to play her co-star in this film. And they, I mean, they they look like kids, right? I think a lot when things are recreated for TV and film because they are usually 18 year olds or 20 year olds playing teenagers to really have people that age just highlights the horror of this crime. And then also the campy horror of Natalie Portman saying to the producer, I think they need to be
1: hotter. Well, some people look at this as a fantasy. Natalie Portman's character has very much like eroticized this situation to the point that she's engaging in like grooming role play with like a 30 something year old man.
0: Yeah I mean to your point uh, someone who definitely thinks this is hot and okay is Bill Maher who I saw a recent (laughs) uncovered politically incorrect episode where he's talking about the Mary Kay Letourneau case and he's like come on it's fine and Henry Rollins is one of the The panelist, and he's like, no, man, I think that this isn't okay. And I think the kid is going to be messed up for the rest of his life. And Bill Maher goes, so you're not going to be on my side. And Henry Rollins goes, no. See, I knew I loved him.
1: (laughs) Henry Rollins or Bill Maher? (laughs) Yeah, obviously Henry Rollins. So
0: this is full spoiler territory. But were you shocked in the end who ends up fucking I thought this was leading towards a, at least a sapphic kiss between Julia and Moore and Natalie Portman.
1: Yes, I thought it might go that way too, especially after the very erotic makeup applying scene.
0: They are social outcasts.
1: He seems to be an
0: x-ray tech. She has a baking business that is only sustained from the same like small group of people keeping her employed. And yet when she's showing her makeup to Natalie Portman, I'm like, I think that's a Westman Atelier contour stick.
1: Yeah, and I think her foundation was Charlotte Tilbury, which I'm sorry, this woman would not have makeup that's that highbrow or expensive. No, it definitely felt like
0: Julianne Moore was like, here's my makeup for my makeup bag.
1: Yeah, in reality, all of her makeup would be drugstore. Maybelline. Maybe she's born with it.
0: Maybe she just fucked a teenager. (laughs) But yes, the climax, I guess pun intended, in the film is that Charles Melton and Natalie Portman have sex and to her it's just a casual encounter I think for her it's her own psychotic method way of getting into the character of like so this is what it's like to fuck him and Charles Melton has he has these two devastating scenes right the one where he smokes weed for the first time with his own son which reinforces this idea of like oh yeah he never got a teenagehood a childhood and then he's only ever been with one woman and so when nally portman after they have sex is just acting completely casual like it was a handshake like he can't comprehend what's happening and she just has a devastating line to him
1: this is what adults do or what grown-ups do oh, which right, is yeah. even more sinister yeah imagine having like a 15 year age difference with your dad Oh, also, one thing I wanted to point out, this is the second film where Julianne Moore has a breakdown related to baking. I don't know if you remember that scene in The Hours where she's trying to make John C. Riley a birthday cake. Oh, right. And she has a full, and she literally just decides to kill herself as a result. Also, after I watched May-December, I, of course, immediately had to watch Black Swan. Ooh. And there are a couple of parallels to Black Swan as well. There is another cake breakdown remember when barbara hershey like gives her the cake and that whole thing and then there's also a similar scene where natalie portman like tries on winona ryder's lipstick which felt similarly erotic okay
0: before we move on can we get to the tar-esque ending of the film sure natalie portman has done all of this and it's a fucking
1: tv movie it's not even a good movie however even if this is a shitty made for tv movie her performance Is incredible. You think she's definitely getting Emmy consideration for this? I don't know if she's getting Emmy consideration, but she deserves to. This project is beneath her.
0: Right, but the hope that Julianne Moore and Charles Melton's character have is that this will tell their real story and not be some schlocky TV movie as they previously done.
1: Okay, so moving on, aside from these films, what else have you been watching lately?
0: I honestly haven't had time
1: for much. Because you're on your deathbed? (laughs) I'm on my deathbed. Bed, as we know, I'm gonna be hospitalized by next week. As you've said, you love a minor illness to go back to bed and actually
0: watch TV. But I have had time to watch a Netflix documentary called Escaping Twin
1: Flames. Okay, I saw the trailer, but I haven't actually watched it. Is it good?
0: It's worth your time, and here's why. Imagine if Scientology wasn't consumed with the idea of thetons being attached to our bodies, and instead of that, it was just your twin flame. This soulmate who, whether they want to or not, they need to be with you. Okay. Like there is a woman who legit went to jail for stalking because she followed this course. How do you know who your twin flame is? So it's funny that you ask that because it is such an insular group that initially when they formed this cult, it's uh, Jeff and Shalia Divine, not their real last name, if you can believe it, Early on, there was a couple who were each other's twin flame. They were the poster child of this cult. It operates like a cult slash MLM because twin flames became professors and then brought in other people who they coached. After a few years and people have spent thousands of dollars and have not met their twin flame, they decide that actually everyone's twin flame is within this group. But also at the same time, they become very obsessed with gender roles. Mm -hmm. So it's all about the divine feminine and the divine masculine. Chelsea, what do you think happens in a mostly female group where everyone is each other's soulmate? Oh, so they
1: all ended up being lesbians even though they're straight? They told some people they were trans and didn't know it. Okay, that's iconic. And they were like, okay. I mean, reluctantly.
0: I mean, this is also the crazy thing is like, it's still going on. I feel like you and I, I would like to think would never get wrapped up in a cult. Certainly not this cult because the graphic design is so terrible. Ew. Not sexy.
1: What have you been watching? So my wife is a big fan of Taylor Jenkins Reid and has been trying to get me to read her books forever. So I finally read The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, which I loved. And then I read Daisy Jones and The Six. And then I had to watch the Hulu series that came out. I don't know, a couple years ago or something like that? Unfortunately, I think it was earlier this year. Really? Is that how much culture we've ingested? It was released March 3rd of this year. Oh my god. Yeah, basically, it's about a Fleetwood Mac-esque band and Riley Keough plays the Stevie Nicks in The Equation, Stooky Waterhouse plays the Christine McVie, and... It's truly wild because the format of this is that it mostly takes place in the 70s, but there's kind of like present day interviews with the characters talking about what happened, as if it's for a documentary or something. And they did not change the actors, nor did they put them in old makeup. So imagine Suki Waterhouse playing like a 60 or 70 year old Christine McVee. They
0: did this on Outlander as well, which takes place over decades. It's also a time travel historical romance. Don't worry about it, Chelsea. But they kind of did the (laughs) same thing
1: where they're like, they're in their 50s, but it's like they kind of just look how the actors normally look. Very weird. I thought the book was good, but it's kind of weird because usually when something is based on historical events in this instance the recording of the rumors album the tv or the film version is like way more exaggerated and way more crazy but in this instance it's like not the case like the actual story is 10 times crazier than daisy jones in the six but one thing i do really like about it is the fact that the song that is supposed to be their breakthrough single is actually a good song and it would have been a hit had it been released in the 70s.
0: Yeah, I feel like this strain of music, having to create media within movies is the easiest to recreate authentically. Like I think of Almost Famous and uh, Stillwater's hit song Fever Dog.
1: Okay, but Fever Dog did not slap as hard as Look at Us Now from Daisy Jones in the Six. Although yes, I get what you're saying. And I actually would recommend Daisy Jones in the Six to fans of Almost Famous. Like that's exactly who should watch this.
0: I know but I remember when Daisy Jones and the Six came out people were juxtaposing stills from Daisy Jones and the Six and Almost Famous where it's like why does one legit look like it's from the 70s and the other is a
1: wish.com version of them yeah I think the biggest disjunct between the book and the series for me was that I imagine Daisy as being like extremely cool from right. the beginning and in the series she's kind of only cool at the very end you know and that's a problem Yeah, because it girls are, they're born that way. They're born, they're not made. Is it like that in the book? Yes, in the book, she is a total it girl. And I think the author does a good job of capturing that for sure. But yeah, my main takeaway is is that one fake song. Do any fake songs speak to you? I would be remiss
0: if I did not mention the song from the Lone Rangers degenerated from the film Airheads. Okay, I have a confession to make. I've never seen Airheads. Oh, you would like it. And, would I? And Tat would like it. It's an early Adam Sandler role. You know what the plot of the film is. Mm-mm. Okay, Brendan Fraser, Steve Buscemi, and Adam Sandler are wannabe rock stars in the early 90s. They have like a pseudo-grunge rock band called The Lone Rangers. And Steve Buscemi works for a toy store, and he very early on in the film shows them these hyper-realistic guns that can't be sold at the toy store. So anyway, they have this idea to hold up a radio station until their single is played.
1: That sounds cool. I think my favorite fake song is That Thing You Do from That Thing You Do. Remember how good that song was? Like, I think that having a good song is required for a film or a television show where it's all about a band getting famous because of a song. But that song, I think, is as good as any 60s one-hit wonder. The (laughs) O'Neaters. Speaking of one hit wonders, the wonders. Remember how they actually played that song on the radio? As you're saying this,
0: I'm like in my head, it's playing that thing you do because of course I owned the CD and played it at nauseum as a child.
1: <laughs> okay, let's drop a clip of that here. My head, like it won't leave. No, and they play it 10,000 times during that thing you do. And by the end, you're still not sick of it. I think we also have to mention, of course, A Star is Born, but that's been mentioned enough. The single, Shallow, of course, was amazing, but many of the songs were amazing. Not all, but enough to populate a soundtrack.
0: And also, I think maybe
1: that is the best fake pop music
0: in a movie because you have Lady Gaga, and it's pop
1: music. Like, what's her name? Alice or Ally? Alice? Ally. Oh my god, put some respect on Ally Maine's name. Do you
0: think she changed her name back after his
1: suicide, or
0: that's just she will always be Ally Maine?
1: Did you just ruin *Star <laughs> Is Born*? Star- I'm sorry if you don't know how *Star Is Born* ends by now. It's after the- <laughs> four films, yeah. then and that's on you. And five years of after the film came out,
0: but. The fact that Ally Maine's pop music is separate to Lady Gaga's own pop music is astonishing. So I think that might be the best
1: music in a film. But also, we should be thinking of the band from Beyond the Valley of the Dolls because they had some bops too.
0: Do we have a little time for me just to give you a rundown of what's going on in The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills?
1: I don't know. When do I need to take you to Cedar Sinai?
0: Yeah, guys, we've transferred to my bed. <laughs> I won't get into what's going on with Kyle and. Son. Sutton. There was a whole thing in Las Vegas where they went to Magic Mike and Sutton wore pants, which I guess was a big deal to her. And after she wasn't called on stage, she had a whole meltdown where she yelled at everyone that she's on the board of the American Ballet Theater and she can't be seen at such a thing. And everyone was like, Is it because you didn't get called on stage? And she's like, No, that's not
1: what it's about. And they're like, You're kind of making a big
0: deal about this. She's like, I'm not.
1: Having seen Magic Mike live, I'm surprised she would have wanted to be called on stage because they're all like swishy bottoms and skinny jeans. Like it's not like giving Channing Tatum. She would have known what was going on, what that show was like to begin with, but
0: that's neither here nor there. What I do want to get into is that Morgan Wade has finally been introduced into the show. There has been a lot of rumors that Kyle Richards is now seeing this country singer Morgan Wade Um, and I actually, having now seen them together on camera, interacting for the first time, I don't think they're together like that. I think it's something far worse, which is Kyle is obsessed with Morgan, and Morgan doesn't feel the same way. Because having watched them interact, the energy's not there. Kyle's acting like a giggly teenager, and Morgan's like, Okay, cool. Now I'm left with the crushing reality that we aren't going to get a gay affair, but instead it's just a woman having a gnarly midlife crisis for all of us to
1: watch. Kyle's not above drinking Morgan's bathwater is what you're saying. I think it's possible. (laughs) I think it may have happened. (laughs) Well, I'm excited to see what happens, even though I don't watch... Well, I'm excited to hear what happens Uh, via you since I don't watch this show, but I am still invested in this because, of course, I would like a Beverly Hills housewife to be with a woman, you know, in a non-Denise Richards. Wait, what was the other situation? Uh, Denise Richards and Brandi Glanville, which we're in the middle of. I haven't watched
0: uh, this week's episode, but another dinner party from hell, which is a weed-themed dinner party that Denise Richards is there and it would appear has mixed some alcohol with some prescription drugs because she isn't making any sense
1: see i think weed dinner parties are the worst idea unless you're the hugest stoner in the world i can't imagine how that would work it doesn't seem like a good idea if i'm smoking pot the last thing i want to do is socialize in that kind of context and especially having bitch fights doesn't work moving on to fashion in case you've been living under a rock (laughs) Balenciaga had a show in Los Angeles. It was their new pre-fall collection. And the show was on a very picturesque street in Hancock Park. I couldn't believe it. I would love to talk to the event
0: producer. I don't even know how you rent out a street in Hancock Park. I mean, clearly they picked this very specific street because you had a perfect view to the Hollywood
1: sign in the background. This is a very affluent neighborhood. So it's like, how do you kick that many rich people out of their homes? I mean, the money that they got must have been crazy. Well, and also it's a Saturday afternoon. It's like, hi, can you um,
0: not leave your house for eight hours while we mount this fashion show? And can Nicole
1: Kidman use your bathroom? (laughs) So Tat went, I wanted to have her on the pod today to talk about it, but she couldn't because she's working. But she said that like, No one was peering through the windows either. They either were gone or hiding. I
0: wonder if they paid for them to be in a hotel for the weekend or something. I would imagine. That seems cheaper than renting their homes. So we're a year out from the Balenciaga scandal. Isn't that
1: crazy that it's only been a year?
0: Well, no, because a year ago, I was so sick, I lost my voice. Maybe it's just an annual
1: thing (laughs) for me. And we were discussing this around this time last year. But the fact that last year at this time, you were like, I don't know if we should talk about this because I don't want to get fucking (laughs) doxxed. And now it's like it never happened. Gemna is back
0: in the cultural zeitgeist doing what he does best, reflecting the worst parts of our culture back to
1: us. I know. I love that so many people were appalled by this show because it's like tacky, as if the vast majority of luxury consumers aren't. I would love
0: to know the conversations of how they got the collab and licensing for Erewhon, because that
1: was a genius move. It's the kind of thing that I can't imagine any other brand doing in the same way. I mean, people love to have hot and bad
0: takes about Balenciaga, and they were like, who would pay like $700 for a leather Erewhon toad? And it's like, people, people will. It's going to sell out.
1: Yeah. Also, I think $700 is a very generous estimate. I'm thinking that's more like $3,000.
0: Did you know that the to-go coffee cups that people were holding, that those are bags?
1: Yeah, I saw a video of it. There's a hinge on one side. And when you flip up the top of the cuff, there's like a little mirror. Is that our
0: new pigeon bag?
1: Do we have to add to the collection? (laughs) But yeah, I thought it was a cool show. They're coming off what I think are two of their strongest shows, the spring show and the couture show before that. So I don't think this was as major as that necessarily but certainly fun to watch and most of the pieces were just like what would be in the store like it wasn't a ton of fantasy apart from the gowns and the coats at the end
0: they make their money selling bags and shoes and that's what this collection was about
1: t-shirts hoodies
0: yeah you can find the giant Ugg boots
1: offensive but they're gonna sell well I feel like the backlash to Balenciaga is always really funny because whenever they rework something that signifies like the lower classes whether it's a clutch that looks like a bag of chips or these weird fake Ugg boots people get so outraged but then it's like that only fuels the hype behind this brand right like the criticism is that the brand is all about hype but they create the hype because the haters are as obsessed as the fans
0: the true death for someone like Demna would be if people had no reaction. We're incapable of not having reactions in today's cultures. As long as I think he wants to be at Balenciaga he'll be there.
1: These clothes sell
0: so he will stay there as long as he wants to. For sure but I do have a question about one section of the show because artistically I understand having the Chanel tweed suits I'll put that in, in quotes but Would you buy a Balenciaga skirt suit mimicking a Chanel suit?
1: Yes, because these suits, if you look closely, they look like they're too tight on the models. It looks like the buttons are pulling and that's a design thing. So that makes it different than an actual Chanel suit. I don't think these are four people that would buy a Chanel suit. As he
0: spoke about in the show notes,
1: growing up as a refugee, his a lot of his
0: media was showing Los Angeles. And that's definitely, when I think about LA and like Kris Jenner and Beverly Hills in the late 80s and 90s, I'm thinking about Chanel suits. Yeah,
1: Pretty Woman, Beverly Hills. It's that cream and baby pink Chanel suit that we all think about. But I thought the first section of the show, like the first third, which was all... Leisure into the bootleg, juicy couture stuff, I was like, oh, that is how people actually look here. That's like how people look when they're leaving Equinox in West Hollywood
0: yeah what's going to be interesting about this collection is it is an amped up version of how people dress in Los Angeles for the most part but also producing really hypey gigantic sneakers gigantic Uggs that people are then going to buy now leave Equinox in that amped up version of what they were previously wearing. it's like where
1: does this end I know And the shoes you can buy the shoes now apparently which are comically huge like if you thought their shoes were big before if you thought those Yeezy shoes were big these are like really fucking big clown shoes they are clown shoes can we also talk about some of the models because we did get a couple of celebs in this show that we did I saw Cardi B which is kind of a weird choice as I do not associate her with Los Angeles at all like when I think of Cardi B like that's the most New York person I've ever seen like she's from the Bronx I guess she couldn't make it to the Wall Street show last year (laughs) and more important we got Brigitte Nielsen incredible I think her and Cardi should have swapped outfits yeah yeah like it's a cool subversion to put Brigitte Nielsen in these like thigh-high dominatrix boots and black jeans and a turtleneck but when I think about her as a fashion icon and how she looked in the 80s during the peak of her fame when she was married to Sylvester Stallone it's like I do think about like that 80s extravagance and those red carpet looks and those furs and stuff she's beyond also i was completely starstruck seeing her at the after party and she was very easy to spot as she is 20 feet tall and blonde as fuck. oh i'm sorry you went to the after party chelsea well yeah it was tats plus one did you get an Arawan x Balenciaga juice Chelsea I didn't they had some sort of cocktail reception thing at Sunset Tower that I didn't go to that was all about the juice because me and Yo went and saw Stevie Nicks so the party that I went to was at Whiskey A Go Go and it was very like unfancy on every level fascinating with a smattering of random celebs most importantly Brigitte Nielsen I was at Erewhon earlier
0: this week and I looked out for it and it was not there
1: well I had Tat snag you one from the Reese, so shall we sample it now? Please. Oh yeah, this'll revive me. Yeah, the funny thing is that Lauren actually needs this juice right now. Look, it has all the things you need. It's like charcoal, apple, ginger, spinach. The most
0: important thing is it has activated charcoal, which gives it its black look. But nothing really
1: edgy about the taste of the juice itself.
0: No, so much so that I would drink this on the regular if they sold
1: it. Wait, so they didn't They didn't have it when you went to Erewhon? Not the Studio City one. Yeah, I wonder how long they planned on manufacturing that for if it was just like a last weekend kind of thing. Well, I hope it becomes like the Hailey Bieber smoothie and it gets so popular
0: they're like, fuck it, I guess this is just in our <laughs> repertoire now. Oh, is that what happened? Haven't you ever been to Erewhon and just seen like depressed underpaid smoothie makers just making like six
1: Hailey Bieber pink smoothies at a time? I'm... You know, I never get smoothies at Erewhon, I get juices. And I've never really cared about any of the celebrities that have done the smoothies enough to get one.
0: I was never a juice person, but this may have converted me. Is that a business expense if we get an Erewhon membership?
1: Watch us go to jail.
0: a <laughs> <laughs> Aholics Anonymous. This is a
1: case for the FBI.
0: You're just a witch, and I hate you. I was horrified to see on Deadline this week that Kim Kardashian will be re-teaming with Ryan Murphy as she will star in a Hulu legal drama from the executive producer. Kim, take a break. Please
1: rest. I don't know how she does it.
0: The other problem with this announcement is, okay, you were a standout in this season of American Horror Story. You got the best lines. It was a bit roll. But I don't know, if I were her, it's like I pulled it off once, good.
1: But now she's doubling down on acting and I'm a little worried. Kim acting is not a problem for me. I'm excited by it. I just don't understand how she's planning on doing this, running Skims, running Skin, that venture capital firm that she has. Sky. And um, what else? Oh, her four children. Oh, and the becoming a lawyer thing. I
0: wonder if she's negotiated that they that they have to film in Calabasas. They're going to build a production stage in the Skims office so that she can film her part.
1: For her sake, I hope that happens. I'm excited by it because American Horror Story is not the best that Ryan Murphy has to offer at this point. His best things are other shows. So maybe this will be one of those things. As of late, his best
0: things are shows that he executive produces that he has nothing to do with, which I guess the Capote ladies is one of those things.
1: But also it's not like she's just doing this Ryan Murphy show. Wait, do we mention it's about lawyers? That's so insane because it's like you're actually going to be one. I think that's how they pitched it to her. But it's not that she's just doing this Ryan Murphy show. She's also signed on as the lead in this new Netflix movie called The Fifth Wheel that is apparently some sort of ensemble comedy written by Paula Pell, former SNL writer, star of Wine Country. It's a very specific context that I
0: think she's been successful in her role. I'm a little worried for her to try to go outside of those parameters.
1: See, I'm just selfishly worried that this means that we will never get a brick and mortar skim store at the Century City Westfield. The
0: Kardashians would rather open a permanent or pop-up store for any other venture other than Skims, which Skims, ironically, out of all the other businesses, needs a pop-up or a physical store because What size are you? I don't know. It could range two sizes from your usual or two sizes up. Two
1: sizes down, two sizes up. Yeah, to shop at Skims is to place like a $500 order and then to return two thirds of it.
0: Yeah, you're basically playing
1: sizing Russian roulette when you buy Skims. You're basically just like... Putting shit on your credit card when you buy Skims. And we wonder why we're not on the PR list. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love it, but that's just like bras. That is the number one thing that is hard to buy for most people. Yeah, like my nipple bra, I picked the wrong size. I picked a, a
0: 32B, which I normally am. But thankfully, Skim sent me someone else's wrong order under my name, and it was the right bra, 34B. So...
1: Sorry, person. (laughs) That bra's mine now. I feel like we should also mention Kendall's new fashion campaign. She is the face of the new Bottega Veneta campaign alongside ASAP Rocky. Well, not alongside. They did his and hers. But it is a paparazzi-themed
0: photo shoot, which it feels like more... Mizell's Italian Vogue paparazzi shoots than anything else. Than like actual paparazzi photos
1: as of late. No, but it was actual paparazzi photos. That's the genius thing because I think that when big luxury brands try to do these campaigns, they always want it to look like Ron Golella or a stylized, like a Hans Fuhrer kind of version of a paparazzi photo. Why not just get it straight from Getty Images?
0: Yeah, you're Right, I'm I'm looking up the photos and I can't find a photographer because the photos of Kendall were paparazzi photos previously. I mean, she purposely was styled in these bottega pieces, but almost every shot we've seen in the Daily Mail before. Like I think about her in the fur coat we talked about this on a recent episode right on the walkway at the second level of sushi park which is a known paparazzi spot
1: yeah apart from that i don't remember seeing any of these kendall photos but i did see a bunch of the asap rocky ones including the one of him jogging in a leather sweatsuit. And it didn't even occur to me that it was for a Bottega Veneta ad. I just thought he had gone crazy. Oh yeah, babes, here is Kendall outside Jade's.
0: Oh my God. Should we even bother talking about the last few episodes of the Kardashians? Oh, are we behind talking about them? We certainly didn't talk about the season finale, that I know. Okay, remind me what that was again. Chloe and Chris go on the tour bus to go down to San... I almost said it in the uh, Anchorman way. San Diego. uh, Down to San Diego to see Blink-182 play. Courtney also tries to talk about generational egg trauma to her mother
1: (laughs) who like does not give a fuck
0: okay that was wild i mean the way that courtney weaponizes therapy language is wild and also like watching courtney try to explain something she's clearly seen on tiktok once where she's like true has eggs inside of her that were inside of her when she was inside your belly and you were inside mom And you had all your eggs and she was inside. It's like, what the
1: fuck are you talking about, Courtney? Look, she's on her own journey. And I totally see what you're talking about, about her weaponizing therapy speak. But I don't get the impression that a lot of other people in this family have gone to therapy. Oh, God, no. No. And also, I think that what she's saying specifically about the kind of men that are brought into the family and how much of a pass they get from everyone. Is something that needs to be said, and something that needs to be said specifically to Chris. She seems to be in a good place with Corey. I know, but she's currently trying to get Chloe back together with Tristan. That's fair. And I think there are definitely generational patterns around that shit in that family. Or at least all of the Kardashian women have done this.
0: And to be fair, Courtney, out of all of
1: them, has actually broken that pattern. Although, in watching that episode, I realized. Did you notice the very tense interaction between Travis and Chris? I don't think they like each other anymore. Also, I love how Courtney invited Chris to like another Blink-182 show. She's like, no, I'm good. Never need to do that again. She also forgot to tell her mom that she would be publicly announcing her pregnancy at a Blink-182 show. Well, and she also didn't invite her family because she didn't want to make it about them. Fair Fair. enough.
0: The other thing I thought was memorable for myself is that We see Kim shooting American Horror Story, and the director is Jennifer Lynch, daughter of David Lynch and director of Boxing Helena.
1: Also, did you notice that on the, what are they called, the little clapper boards? Mm -hmm. It said American Horror Story Hamptons. So was that supposed to be the name? Like, why was it changed to delicate?
0: I don't know why it would be American Horror Story Hamptons, but oftentimes productions will be under code name, so people don't, Uh, know what the name is and I still think for American Horror Story they think that their subtitles are uh huge reveal so maybe they wanted to call it Hamptons as a cover story
1: right well some of it does take place in the Hamptons Uh, very true I guess it's time for me to call an ambulance for you
0: if I got you sick this is gonna be the worst episode (laughs) next week I'm never gonna hear the end of this
1: okay since it's the end of the show and we never know how to end the show maybe we should invest in that George Santos cameo maybe he could give us a sign off I think I missed the window yet again I think they're all sold out but I'm going
0: to keep my eye open. I'm sure the next time it's going to be like, oh, no, wait, it's available, Chelsea. We can book a personal video from him for $400. All right, we're going to do this. All right, guys, (laughs) we're going to book a personal cameo from George Santos and uh, tune in next week
1: to hear what he said to us. Sounds great. Bye, guys. Bye. (laughs)